My personal life philosophy is two questions. So whenever I need to make a decision like in a day-to-day -day basis or thinking long-term, I ask what have I never done before and what am I least likely to ever do again? And whatever thing answers both of those questions is the thing that I choose or that I do. So I think it's kind of like living. You're listening to episode number three of the Young Founders podcast hosted by myself, Riley Farbaugh, as well as my good friend and colleague, Nate Boland. On this episode of the podcast, we've got Georgia Grace Edwards. Georgia Grace, along with her co-founders, Bianca Gonzalez and Charlotte Massey, recently launched SheFly Apparel. SheFly is a layerable line of pants that allows women to comfortably, safely, and easily relieve themselves in the outdoors without exposing skin to the elements or to other people. Their mission is to promote inclusivity, accessibility, and women's empowerment in the outdoors through innovative product design. I'll also add that I'm really impressed with the sustainability aspect that's been infused into the brand, and I'll let Georgia Grace speak to that later. Georgia Grace and her team have appeared in several business pitch competitions, including the Vermont Road Pitch and Peak Pitch, both hosted by Fresh Tracks Capital. They've been able to generate a bunch of press locally here in Vermont, recently being featured on Fox Local 44 and Think Vermont, and in Seven Days and the Vermont Business Magazine. On the national level, SheFly has been recognized by Boston Inno and featured on several other podcasts. Their crowdfunding campaign on iFundWomen far exceeded their fundraising goal, having raised over $50,000. You can find their products online at SheFlyApparel.com or follow them on social media at SheFlyApparel. Before we jump into this episode of the podcast, let me just say it's a bit unorthodox the way that this was recorded. Um, we took three different stabs at uh, getting Georgia Grace on the podcast once while she was in Ireland backpacking, once while she was in the Czech Republic, and then finally a third time face-to-face -face here in Burlington. Um, so we're sort of stitching together those three different interviews in this podcast. So it may be a bit disjointed, um, but there's a lot of great stuff in this podcast. So uh, without further ado, let me just get out of the way and hope you folks enjoy this episode. So SheFly came from a summer I spent as a glacier guide in Alaska. It was something that I had always wanted to do. So one summer I flew to Alaska, became a glacier guide, uh, and I was one of only a few female glacier guides. And so using the bathroom is always a bit of a challenge outside, no matter what activity you're doing. But I think when you're in an especially cold environment, uh, the difficulties are heightened. And so I spent the whole summer trying to figure out how I could make this situation easier for myself instead of having to run, a run across crevasses and try to shield myself uh, behind ice and take off three to four layers and sub-freezing temperatures and put it all back on. Um, and by the end of the summer, the best thing I had come up with was to cut my water consumption, which is not great, but also not uncommon um, among women in the outdoors. And so then I just kind of sat with the idea for a while, brought it up um, back at Middlebury College, where I went to school with a few friends whenever we would go on hikes. 
And the following summer, I met my co-founder, Bianca, Bianca Gonzalez, and we were both working at Goldman Sachs in Utah. And so we spent a lot of time, all the time we could get out of the office hiking. When I bounced this idea off her, uh, we really started to conceptualize this pair of pants that was going to fix everything. And we've just been going I, I love the I love that you guys have such a clear problem and that you experienced it first person uh, and then you were just like I'm just gonna solve this yeah definitely um, yeah it's once you a pair of pants uh, holding you back you can't believe that nothing has been done about it yet which is often the commentary we get uh, so for for those of those listen for those of you listening, this is take two of the podcast. Uh, we tried to connect earlier in the week, but uh, Georgia Grace is actually backpacking over in Ireland, and so we're we're, we're lucky to have her today uh, with a little bit better Wi-Fi. Um, I did forget in the intro to let you guys know to connect with SheFly on social media using their hashtags P the Change. Answer Nature's Call and Pants Pants Revolution, which we love. Uh, and also, Georgia Grace, just wanted to give it up for you guys. Uh, your branding, having your domain and all your social profiles the same uh, handle, She Fly Apparel, uh, was, I think, a, a, a big, big move for you guys. Nice job. Thank you. It's been fun to get those trending. Uh, I also want to let everyone know that we have come up with a new nickname for you, Georgia Grace. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah? Um, So last time we discussed, uh, we are going to start calling Georgia Grace (laughs) GPZ. Out of all of my many, many nicknames, I have not heard this one yet. So I'm (laughs) psyched about it. Um, so Georgia race, what's the market like for this? We talked about the, the problem that you're solving. Um, it seems like it's a pretty big market and you're specifically focused on the outdoors right now. Yeah, exactly. Right now we're focused on the outdoors. Um, outdoor apparel is the fastest growing like section of apparel within the industry. I think it's valued at over $30 billion right now. Um, And when you couple that with women's buying power specifically, which is also on the rise at an exponential rate right now, um, it's a pretty big market to be into. Um, And so we're starting with door specific line of pants, um, but the hope is that we'll be able to establish multiple revenue streams, not just by selling our hiking pants and our long underwear that you can layer underneath, um, but also hopefully license out our patent so that this can be a reality in every pair of pants, no matter what their use is. So we've received tons of messages from people um, who work in international aid in developing countries or who are field scientists outside all the time or um, moms who are pregnant or people who ski a lot. There are so many applications of these pants beyond just the outdoors um, and we're really excited to keep exploring all these avenues. That's super cool. Um, Georgia Grace, do you guys have patents on this idea or uh, you mentioned licensing? How would that work? So that is 
all something that we are figuring out. So we did submit our patents, and so we're patent pending um, for both design and utility patents, which was um, a long process that took a lot of research and a lot of legal advice. Um, and the patent process is very long, so you don't uh, actually, it's a multiple year long process, um, but if all goes according to plan, we will be approved soon. And then in terms of licensing, um, it's really a customer client case by case basis. So you can license based on um, a certain proportion of profits from companies that use your technology. You can license based on um, number of actual products that are sold using this. It's yeah, there's a lot of details there that I could go into, but probably not the most interesting topic. <laughs> So sort of going off of that, um, have you faced any other challenges besides uh, trying to develop a patent? Nope, it's been a breeze. <laughs> I'm just kidding, there's a ton of challenges. <laughs> um, one thing with apparel specifically is that it's a super fast and dynamic market, so it's constantly changing. And especially when you're a startup, you're in this industry, you're balancing this desire to be first to market, so you get it out there first, um, while also doing it the right way. Um, because what we're trying to produce is a high quality piece of outdoor apparel that has to keep you safe and comfortable in the outdoors. Uh, and so I think balancing those two opposing forces of doing something really high quality, um, but also being first to market is one challenge that we've worked a lot on. We took a full year to research um, to connect with people in the outdoor apparel industry and so it's been a full year from start to finish just producing this first line of pants we started uh, i took middlebury entrepreneurs which is a class uh, taught by sam and dave of vermont center for emerging technologies at vset where i met you um, and in that class i had just kind of sewn my own prototypes so we've been building from there and that's another challenge I would say is big. Um, so you had this idea on a glacier in Alaska, and then you actually sewed this into a pair of your own pants? <laughs> that's correct. Um, <laughs> I had an old pair of snow pants, and I hadn't tried sewing since home ec in Geez, I don't know, sixth grade. So I went to my friend's house. She has a sewing machine in her attic, and we just kind of played around with it. And the first pee was taken out of my own sewed <laughs> snow pants in a bathroom inside, actually. I, I actually saw the snow pants. I think you guys uh, demonstrated those at Peak Pitch. Is that right? We did, yeah. <laughs> when we went to Peak Pitch, we were wearing complete prototypes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. I actually did peak pitch this year, um, and Sam and Dave were both there, and and they're a, a big a big support to us, and we really appreciate uh, VSET for all it is and all they do. Um, what what were you guys able to take away from that class uh, that that Sam and Dave taught at Middlebury, and and what impact has that had on the business? So much, um, yeah. Sam and Dave and the whole VSET crew is great. As liberal arts students at Middlebury College, me and Bianca and Charlotte, we uh, are all, 
I'd say skilled in problem solving, but we all also studied very different things, none of which were business directly. And so the Middlebury Entrepreneurs class itself was a really great chance to dive into the meat of what makes a startup and how do you go about it from ideation all the way through. Um, so this class allowed us to know how to build a business plan and how to get market research survey data, which has been really important to us. The survey that we released during Middlebury Entrepreneurs um, had one of our most, which is that one in three women have gotten pee on themselves in the past year because they're, they couldn't get the gear out of the way in time, there wasn't a bathroom, um, it was too cold, whatever the reason. So without that class, not only would we not have the expertise to us gotten as far as we have, but we also wouldn't have had just the time and the space to do that because we were all students with full course loads. Um, but the way that Middlebury Entrepreneurs works is that for one month, you just take one class, this class. Um, it's part of Middlebury's J term, which is our winter semester. So if it weren't for that, it exists. So what year did SheFly start? So the, I worked on the summer, the summer of 2016. I met Bianca out west summer of 2017 and then took the class, Middlebury Entrepreneurs class, January of 2018 in my final semester at Middlebury. And how old were you guys when uh, the idea was uh, initialized? I was 21. Is that right? No, I was, yeah, I was 21, yeah. Um, and Bianca and Charlotte were similar. I think Bianca was 22. So being so young and starting it around a year ago, what was kept you guys uh, motivated and inspired to continue to adapt and improve this product uh, through the year that you guys have been running it? I think two things. One, our network of mentors. Um, we spent so long researching so that we could really connect with people. We did a ton of pitch or yeah, pitch competitions that you mentioned. Um, we did Vermont's first ever soup pitch competition. We did peak pitch that you mentioned. We also did road pitch. Um, we did some others at Middlebury. We went to Title Nine Movers and Makers uh, Festival in the Bay Area. We did the dorm room fund. Uh, and so all of those opportunities allowed us to meet really wise and really experienced women who are already in this industry and have overcome um, similar hurdles. So I'd say that's one thing that's really kept us going, having this constant um, source that we can go to when we have questions. Uh, and the other thing that's kept us going is our fans. Uh, my favorite thing to do is just like go through the comments on any photos or articles that have been posted People are really excited about this um, and we get direct messages almost daily uh, from people all over. So I, those are the two things that have really um, kept me feeling energized and passionate about this product. Awesome. Um, how, you mentioned that you guys were all liberal arts students. How did you end up at Goldman Sachs? And then, you know, what were you guys doing there and what was the discussion like around, hey, we should quit this job at Goldman Sachs and go sew zippers into pants? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very crude, uh, yeah. that's a very Actually, crude yeah. description of your business, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, after one petition, actually, a group of people came up to us and they were like, wait, you had this or Goldman Sachs and you guys are doing this. <laughs> we were like, yeah, of course. Um, so I, I think we ended up there for different reasons. Um, I think Bianca wanted to get in the corporate world because she had done nonprofit work in the past as well as academic research. Um, I ended up at Goldman because, well, maybe for similar reasons, but the main reason was actually that my study abroad GoFundMe was hacked, and so I lost a ton of money, um, and then the only way I could pay for my study abroad uh, experience was to work at Goldman Sachs, so that's what I did, um, and I worked in human capital management, which is something I'm really interested in. Uh, which is using data to um, kind of identify patterns in the workplace and improve uh, things related to human resources. So uh, it was a good experience. We learned a lot. But at the end of the day, I think that our founding team, the three of us, are really mission-driven people and value-driven people. And so we wanted to be doing something that really was a reflection of that because I can get up every day and work on SheFly, but I can't say that I would be excited to get up every day and uh, work at Goldman, but still definitely very grateful for that experience. I think part of the reason, you know, you guys have had uh, so much support locally in the press and you've been able to build such a great community around this is that, uh, you know, your brand has the potential to help such a huge percentage of the population and so many people and and that you know it's been it's been pretty clear uh in terms of your community on social media and i know you guys had uh i'm sure the the figure has been updated but probably close to 300 or more individual backers for your crowdfunding campaign um i am sure that's part of the the inspiration that you know helps you get up every day knowing that there's all these people who are behind you and support what you're doing, and that's great. Exactly, and I think there's also the element that the reason we're doing this isn't even profit or anything like that. It's really that this is a product that we need and want in our daily lives. We want it in our lives and in the lives of the women we care about around us. Um, so regardless of whether or not this, I don't know. I don't know what will happen, but. I am really excited that I saw a problem in the world and was able to uh, surround myself with a team who could help me make it happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mentioned social media. I mentioned your audience. Uh, what's what's driven growth on social media? I feel like you guys are doing a great job marketing there. You have you've built such a strong community. You have your branded hashtags. What's driven your growth of, of the audience on social? Mm, that's a good question. Social is something that we've been running entirely ourselves, so it's been a bit of an experience seeing what, what doesn't. Uh, but we did spend a lot of time putting together a pretty cohesive press kit that gives all of our backgrounds, that gives uh, information about our mission statement and our timeline and um, examples of places where we've been featured in the press and as well as the color scheme we like and the hashtags we like to use. And so I actually really good advice for any young entrepreneur or young founder out there that I didn't know before this is that putting together a press pack uh, or a press kit is really useful 
um, because it's something you can just send off, people can find on your website, and that no matter uh, who you talk to, will know what you're about based on your press kit. So I'd say that's one thing that was helpful. Um, another thing I think has been utilizing our individual network. So Bianca, Charlotte, and I each come from pretty different backgrounds, which means we know a lot of different people who are into different things. And the fact that we were able to kind of capitalize on that, um, all having these networks in different places geographically as well uh, has been helpful. And then just trying to stay super interactive. So we try to respond to every comment we get um, and direct message people and also feature our fans in our content because if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have had this awesome crowdfunding campaign. So those are the main things that um, we've found to be pretty helpful throughout this process so far. Yeah, that's all great stuff. Talk about the roles that the three of you each fill on a daily basis and, and how that fits into the bigger picture. That's another good question. Um, on a past podcast, on the Outside by Design podcast, I talked a little bit about this. Um, but when we started this company on entrepreneurs, one thing we learned in that class that was really helpful is that every good startup should have three positions, a hipster, a hacker, and a hustler. Uh, and so Bianca, Charlotte, and I each fill one of those roles. We try to keep most of our work within one of those roles. So just to briefly summarize, um, the hacker is the person who is usually good at technology, good at coding, and their main, uh, I guess, initiative is to figure out how everything can function as smoothly and efficiently as possible within the company, whether it's scheduling meetings or working on the website or gathering data, things like that. Um, and so Bianca has a lot of experience in that. At Goldman Sachs, she worked in operations um, and in past college clubs she did as well. So that's kind of been her niche. Um, the hipster is usually filled by someone who's super creative, um, good at creating content that is that sounds good and that looks good. And that has been Charlotte for the most part. And then the, the last one, the hustler, that is the person who's just relentless with the pitching. Um, a lot of people one-on-one -on -one type stuff, um, a lot of communications. And so that tends to be the role that I fill. Something that is a little bit unique about SheFly is that we have spent this, the better part of this first year actually working remotely. Um, and so we have a few calls a week as well as calls with mentors and lawyers and whoever else is helping us um, and several different lines of communication, whether it's those calls or Slack or texting. Um, and I think that while we mainly cover those areas, there definitely are still times of overlap, especially when your founding team is three people. Um, but we've brought on three other people as well. So that's kind of helped to delegate those tasks a little bit more. When you were talking about those roles, I, I was thinking, oh, hmm, I wonder who the hustler is. Maybe it's the one recording a podcast at 10 p.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, what advice would you give, Georgia Grace, to a young founder with an idea, and how might that advice change as the business evolves? Mm. 
I think that um, a big part of entrepreneurship is one, not being afraid to break a narrative. I think that the outdoor space is tends to be a single narrative, as does entrepreneurship. I think this narrative that you know it's pretty male dominated at this part, especially when you look at like BC funding. Um, and there tends to be this narrative that you drop out of school and you move back home and you build this startup out of a garage. And I don't think that that is representative or entirely accurate. Um, maybe it worked for Steve Jobs, but uh, it, that's not what the model we've been following. And I think we've still had a lot of success. So the first thing I'd say is don't be afraid to um, and to do do entrepreneurship in a way that works for you. And for us, that's been working remotely, working full time, and still giving a ton of energy to this company. The other thing I would say is don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I think in the same way that writing a book or something like that is really pouring your heart and soul into something and putting yourself out there, Uh, entrepreneurship works very similarly and so I'm sure there are a lot of networks right now where I'm known as the pee pants girl Um, (laughs) and that's fine (laughs) with me um, because this is something I believe in and I think it's something that is doing good in the world and so if I'm talking to an audience of 50 middle-aged men about pee pants so be it but um, (laughs) you just have to put yourself out there So have you encountered self-doubt throughout building this company? And if so, have you been able to overcome it and in what ways? Um, I think because I'm so passionate about this, there hasn't been too many moments of self-doubt. Definitely moments of questioning whether I should just quietly solve this for myself with my own, uh, you know, zippered snow pants or try to scale it to something larger. But I think the way I've dealt with that is just having a really strong support network uh, and constantly talking to people about this. I think also at the beginning of starting or founding a company, people feel as though if they share their idea, someone will steal it or rip it off. Uh, And so you can be a little bit hesitant during those beginning stages and while that was something I maybe struggled with at the beginning, I've definitely in this hustler role just constantly shared. And when you share, you get positive feedback. You can feed off other people's energy. And so I think that's mainly how I've dealt with that. So you never had that thought of like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't quit this job at Goldman Sachs? or. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was an internship, so it ended at the end of the summer anyway. Okay. Um, and I, I, similar to what I was saying about the entrepreneurship narrative, I haven't really had to quit anything to do this. I mean, I'm on a Fulbright right now and still giving 100% to SheFly as well. Um, there are, there are sl- definitely moments of doubt. I mean, entrepreneurship isn't easy. And, so, you know, sometimes we pitch this and people get it right away, no question. And other times we pitch it and because it's so deeply ingrained in a social norm, you can kind of see the wheel slowly turning, but it's not always there. I actually just saw a comment on a Facebook post from a few days ago where someone said, um, have we really gotten so lazy that we only need a zipper to go to the bathroom now? (laughs) And 
if you just think about that for like two more seconds, you'll realize that that is already the case for one gender. <laughs> um, so there are moments like that where it's like, we're going to have to in explaining this. But on the whole, I think I've felt a lot of positivity and actually felt increased confidence while doing this. So you just raised $30,000 on iFundWomen, which, by the way, when you were talking about your, uh, your uh, was it a GoFundMe campaign that got hacked? Yeah. So I, I'm, <laughs> it makes sense why you would change platforms. But um, so you just raised 30000 Is this the first <laughs> revenue of the business? Have you guys sold products before or no? No, this is our first official revenue. Um, That's awesome. At the beginning, before this line of pants, we were kind of functioning as more of a service. And so they were so excited, they couldn't wait. And they said, will you put this zipper into my cross-country skiing pants, into my hiking pants, into my pajama pants? A friend asked me to do that for, I guess, camping. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, and people offered to pay at that stage, but we were pretty rudimentary and we're honestly just excited to have people making sure that the idea was validated and that it worked. So this is our first official revenue, yeah. So crowdfunding is like one of those things that a lot of entrepreneurs and even young entrepreneurs try and strive for to raise money. Um, how were you able to do it so successfully? Uh, and it, it's continuing to grow, which is very impressive and it's awesome that people are, it's getting such a good response. So how do you think uh, your product has gotten such a great response in terms of crowdfunding and it continues to uh, move in the right direction? When it comes to crowdfunding, I think we as a team have really done our homework and our research. Uh, we carefully selected our platform, as you said. It was definitely <laughs> not GoFundMe. Um, it came down to iFundWomen and Kickstarter. And iFundWomen has some pretty cool advantages um, in that it offers coaching. You're already on a platform where our target customer happens to be because it's iFundWomen. Um, they take a smaller percentage and even if you don't get funded you still keep what you make and those are things that are not true of Kickstarter usually um, so we did our homework we chose the right platform we filled out an entire Excel document with way too many sheets to count of everyone in our network we did something called network mapping so it was like all of our Facebook friends all of our personal family acquaintances everyone in our phone and um, that's, I think, another reason why we took so long or what feels like so long to get to this first initial product launch is that we were really doing the legwork behind the scenes, growing our followers on social media, uh, trying to get press so that when we launched, we had these channels for that. And in terms of why we th I think we've been successful while on this uh, platform, I think we've done a good job of updating the people who have supported us. We've posted a lot of updates. We also have a high quality video. Video is key when you're crowdfunding because most people are not gonna take the time to read through whatever text your page has. Uh, and we used Ruthless and Wellington who we actually met at VSET in Burlington this summer. Yep, we know them. So that, <laughs> yeah, they're great. I love Susan and yeah. Katie. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, <laughs> so yeah, those are, the big things that show 
be and also learning what modes of communication work best for people so individually instead of sending out this mass email and see that the results a lot, lot quicker a lot more excited and also accountable uh, so those are the big things with crowdfunding um, okay so this idea starts on a glacier and then you meet Bianca and Charlotte and you go through this entrepreneurship class at Middlebury you win a bunch of pitch competitions you raise thirty thousand uh, dollars what was the moment that you first realized that this crazy idea might actually turn into a sustainable business <laughs> uh let's see i think the first time i sewed those pants at my friend's house and tried them uh, in a bathroom inside i was like okay this works but i didn't know if it was going to work on such a large scale and i think for us three co-founders that moment has come at different times i think charlotte had a big rock climbing trip she was on with a few of her friends. I think she was with guys as well. And uh, she realized that the zipper was also compatible in a harness for rock climbing, which is also something that hasn't existed until now. And it was the first time she didn't have to get out of her harness to use the bathroom while in the middle of a pitch and risk safety getting stranded on a ledge or something like that. Uh, and then I think Bianca tried the mountain biking actually. And when she realized that you can sit comfortably, even with a zipper there and not even know, uh, that's when she was pretty excited. I did a hike this summer in Vermont with a few of my friends. We did camel's hump, which is one of my favorites. And that's totally open exposure at the top, as I'm sure, you know, yep. uh, and to be able to do that and not have to hike back down below the tree line somewhere off trail was pretty exciting and that's when i was like okay we can do this and a woman on that hike actually asked me about my pants um and so yeah that was a one of those moments where i was like okay maybe we can do this i think it's awesome that you guys have been able to build um the company to such a scale without even selling a product i think that's a i think that's a great example like a great lesson to a lot of young entrepreneurs that you don't really need a like a viable product to actually build a business to a point where you can actually start building stuff. So it's sort of like pre-building it. Uh, Pre-selling it. Basically, yeah. and it, you can grow to a pretty big scale and you don't even need products for the masses, which is, I think is awesome because a lot. I think a lot of people try and dive into companies and they're like, I need a product right now and I need to sell it like before you even really build the groundwork, which you guys have obviously done. And then you're gonna start focusing on the product. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that's a really cool way to build your businesses, focus on, the groundwork of your company, build everything, get your customer bases in, et cetera, and then you can start pushing product once you're in a comfortable spot, which I think is awesome. I, I do wanna start talking about some product development discussions. Are you ready for that, George Grace? <laughs> sure, hit me. <laughs> um, okay, so you made the first version of this product. Correct. And then talk about I mean, what was that process like of figuring out, you know, how to do it right and then, you know, all the experimentation and then finding someone else who could replicate that? Oh, yeah. Long chain here. Uh, so 
I, as we know, am not a seamstress, which was very evident in the first pair of pants that I wore in public. Um, after That was basically just enough to show people what I was talking about. After that, we had a few friends at Middlebury who helped us out who were better at sewing. And so I wore another iteration of the pants at the soup pitch competition in Burlington. Uh, and those were much better done than what I had previously done. After that, we, uh, after winning that pitch competition, we had a small amount of capital that we were able to use to pay local seamstresses to take a stab at it. Uh, and so we worked with two women in particular in Vermont who helped us sew. Uh, then we used a seamstress who was even higher up on the food chain of seamstresses, if that's a thing. <laughs> Uh, in New Mexico, who had more specialized skills in pants specifically. After that, we had a tech pack created by a designer in New York, and since then have been working on several iterations with our factory. So we've gone through, from start to finish, I'd say about 50 different iterations of these pants and the placement and the material and the fabrics. And that was something that was a huge learning curve because no one on our team was an expert on anything related to apparel before this. And so you really have to seek out the right connections. And I think as an outsider looking into the apparel industry, how I felt before this, you think that clothes are so simple, you know, like, oh, I want a pair of pants that's got a zipper here, four pockets or whatever uh, sits here on my waist. But the process to actually create that is so long. Um, and you have to figure out the sizing gradient. So this has been a really big uh, learning curve, but it's also been really rewarding and really cool to meet people who are experts in this field. Uh, what's the biggest mistake that you guys have made in terms of building the business, whether that be in developing the product or any other part of the business? Oh, biggest mistake. Uh, on any given day. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's so many. I don't know if I can pick one one big one. Um, <laughs> it's been super easy, super smooth sailing, no challenges. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Same answer as before. No, um, <laughs> let's see. I think anytime we make an assumption about something, it usually ends in a mistake. So... I think that I had assumed like, hey, wow, we're changing the pant industry. I want a big, fat, bright zipper so that people ask me about it so that I make this statement. And it's a good thing that we did a lot of surveys because it turns out that, yeah, a lot of people do want their pants to look like that, but also a lot of people want something really discreet that they can also wear on the street. And so that really changed our design and also our marketing. And we wouldn't have come to that conclusion if we hadn't asked more people and just kind of kept on chugging along with the vision I had initially had. So that's I, an example of one mistake. But yeah, mistakes are a part of our daily creative process, I would say. Uh, we skipped over something that I want to I wanted I want to circle back on, which was on product development. And I mentioned earlier that you guys had been able to infuse this cool sustainability aspect into your clothing. Uh, talk about what that is. Oh yeah, sure. So 
SheFly is a product that lies at the intersection of women's empowerment and also outdoor accessibility. And so making the outdoors uh, accessible is only good if the outdoors actually exist, right? So I think that for any product in this market, sustainability should be high up on the list of priorities and in the mission. And so we've partnered with the factory. We also took a long time researching factories that had these capabilities. We've partnered with a factory that has a zero waste policy. Um, their name is Visible Clothing. And so they believe that every piece of fabric or material that enters their buildings should leave as a finished product. So nothing is being thrown away. Uh, and I think for one of the last projects they did, the leftover fabric they ended up turning into a pulp and then making um, notebooks for refugees. So they also have a strong social and value mission statement that kind of aligns with ours. And right now we're kind of brainstorming what we want to do with any extra fabric we will end up with after this first round of pants. George Grace, what's the worst advice that you've ever been given or heard given to someone else? <laughs> the worst advice. And, and when uh, I say someone else, I mean this in the context of entrepreneurship. I should specify that. Okay. Um, let's see. Bianca had a mentor that told her if the co-founders aren't all in the same place, then you should kick the co-founders out and just do it by yourself. And I think that was pretty terrible advice um, because we would not have made it this far without each other. You can't have a one-person company. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's 2019. Um, so I don't think Come that's on. true. And I also think that kind of emphasizes that idea of there's one way to do entrepreneurship that I really disagree with. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Um, I don't know what else. Let's see. This is interesting advice. I don't know if it's bad advice. I just don't know that it's always true. Someone said that you should always ask for the opposite of what you want. So if you're seeking funding, you should actually just ask for advice. And if you only want advice, you should actually ask for investment. Maybe that holds true in some scenarios, but I think on the whole, being super clear about what your ask is as an entrepreneur and being honest and transparent about that tends to work best. Um, every pitch, as I'm sure you guys know, and maybe any entrepreneurs listening to this know that at the, you should end every pitch with your clear ask of what you're looking for from your audience. So I don't, I don't know that asking for the opposite thing always works out, but yeah, maybe that's, that's bold. proven true for some people. Okay, what's the best advice that you've gotten? Ooh, the best advice. I think any advice that's been along the lines of just keep chugging has been great. Um, there are definitely days where we could not, for the life of us, figure out whatever thing, whether it was a thing or a marketing thing or something to do with their finances. It would feel so just but then we would talk to a mentor and they'd be like, okay, yes, this day went wrong for you, but look back on how much progress you've made thus far. I think keeping a really solid timeline of what you've accomplished each week, each month, really allows you to do that. I was looking back at ours and 
I realized we have done a ton, even if it doesn't always feel like it. So I think that's good advice. Keep track of your progress and keep going along. So if you were to have an extra four hours of your day, what would you do with it and why? I would time to always cook and eat tacos. <laughs> You're also talking to a person who is living in the Czech Republic. Uh, and I really miss tacos at the moment. <laughs> um, what else would I use that time for? You're living in the Probably Czech Republic right now? What? Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. You're living there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after or before graduation, I was awarded a Fulbright scholarship. So I've been living in a rural town in the Bohemia, Bohemian Paradise region of the Czech Republic, teaching English at a business academy. Um, and this, wow. the reason I'm in Ireland is that I am chaperoning a school field trip. Very cool. <laughs> okay, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that's okay. That's confusing. Okay. Um, I would spend more time outside, no matter what the activity is. Recently, I've learned about mushroom hunting, which has been really fun. I would spend more time maybe pursuing that. Um, Interesting. And talking to people. George Grace, if you, Nate, and myself were shooting a movie... <laughs> what movie would it be? Uh-oh. <laughs> An existing movie? Or a new movie? What genre? <laughs> I've never I've never heard this question before in my life. <laughs> it's got to be some type of thriller, right? Like scary thriller or like hike like some sort of active thriller. I feel like we would be outside. We would be outside somewhere. Yeah, that's what I'm envisioning. Maybe could, like 27 hours, but nothing goes wrong because yeah. we have SheFly and other great products. 27 hours of pure bliss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, if you weren't running this business, Georgia Grace, what would you be doing? GPZ, sorry. <laughs> uh, I think I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing now living in a new place, exploring a new culture, spending time outside. Yeah. Maybe writing more. So how does running the company's operations with your other co-founders work when you're in the Czech, Re Czech Republic? It starts with team meetings that we try to have two to three times a week. Uh, we start our team meetings usually with an icebreaker from there's a list of New York Times like I don't know how many questions it is I think it's like 30 questions to fall in love and so we start every team meeting with one of those that's cool because we already love the product but we need to love each other too <laughs> um, and then we're every day we're in contact whether it's via slack via text um, via email, whatever. Um, I'd, I'd say the main, the biggest part of working remotely is that you have to schedule things because it's really easy to say, yeah, we'll catch up later or I'll fill you in on this later, but it doesn't happen unless you actually stick it on the calendar.
What are the tools that you guys use to communicate and manage projects? Our main thing is Slack. We're still on the freemium version of Slack, but maybe after crowdfunding, we'll be able to upgrade. Oh, uh, that's, and then, you're splurging. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I haven't run that by the co-founders yet. They may not agree with me. No, we all um, we love Slack, so awesome. Yeah, it's definitely we've super. Tried a, we've tried a variety of different things for video conferencing. Um, sometimes we're just FaceTime calling each other via Messenger. Sometimes it's Google Hangouts. We've tried, what else have we done? Skype. Um, for scheduling, we've been using Calendly, which is really nice. And then we also use Doodle Polls to figure out when we're all available based on our three different time zones. Yeah, it's definitely super respectable that you're all, you're all in three different time zones and you're still building a company that is going in a really exciting direction. Um, so that's definitely super respectful and it really gives no one, anybody else that's trying to build a company, no excuse if everybody's in the same area <laughs> about building it um, in the right way. So it's definitely super respectful. <laughs> I meant to ask, how did the three of you guys meet? So I met Bianca, as I mentioned, and then Charlotte was friends with Bianca Charlotte ended up taking a semester off because she had some serious health issues in Mauritius. And so she had surgery, emergency surgery on that island, and then was talking to Bianca about how she wanted to come back to Middlebury. Uh, but she obviously couldn't be there to take classes. She had to take the semester off, so she needed another reason to be there. And Bianca said, oh, well, Georgia Grace and I have been doing She Fly for the past few months. and." Charlotte was instantly so excited, started like pitching herself to us, submitting resumes and cover letters and <laughs> trying to convince us to let her on the team. And we were like, oh, you're in. You don't need to convince us. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we each kind of pulled in different people and we've been going from there. And we're, I'll be back in the States in May. Charlotte and I are giving a TED Talk in Stowe, actually. So I'm really excited that the team will be reunited for a brief amount of time. Dave Bradbury actually mentioned that to me the other day. So you guys all, uh, were you all in that Middlebury entrepreneurship course? No, that was just me. Okay. Um, trying to figure out if we could make this idea a thing. Were and your other two Bianca wasn't in the class, but she was helping. You Sorry, all, what was that? You were all mid students or no? Yes, we were all mid-students at the time. Gotcha. Charlotte, what individual has been the most inspiring person in your life and why? Mm. So many people. Uh, I think when I was first starting this project, uh, someone who I talked about a lot in my pitches and also read a lot was Felicity Aston. She was the first woman to cross Antarctica in, in her blog and in her book. She has talked about the difficulty of being outside with only men and trying to use the bathroom or uh, handle her period on an expedition. And she's since started all women's expeditions all over the world, women of all different faiths, all different backgrounds. 
so she's been a big mentor within the industry. Uh, and then I think more closely in my own life, my dad was always a big role model for me. And he always said that whatever you do, you should be proud of yourself, one, and two, have fun. And I think those are the two things I've tried to keep close to home while working on this product, product um, and trying to keep the humor alive in something like this because it helps you get through the hard moments. What would you say has been your greatest accomplishment thus far and what are you still looking forward to accomplishing? As of this week, I'd say our greatest accomplishment is that no matter what happens in the future, there's going to be at least 300 pairs of she fly pants, hiking pants circulating somewhere in the world. That's really exciting. That's awesome. For us. <laughs> um, and lots to look forward to. Um, in the fall, we're hoping to launch our line of long jeans, so like long johns or long underwear, but these will feature flaps that you can layer underneath the zippered pants as well as underwear. So currently you can go commando or pull your underwear to the side. And we hope that with she fly underwear, you can also again, line up flaps. So we're really excited and we've been working on designs for those as well. So have you ever, have you thought about the vision of the company in like five to 10 years? If so, um, what do you think will be the company and everything? Another easy question there. <laughs> <laughs> um, in five to ten years, I would love to have all of the products that I just mentioned still on the market, still thriving. Uh, and I hope that we've solidified some solid partnerships by then uh, so that the SheFly technology is in all different types of pants. Yeah, it definitely be cool to see it in like North Face and other outdoors lands and ll yeah, bean it would be really featuring cool. yeah. she fly Definitely yeah exactly really cool. is that the idea that would be i mean that would be ideal right the, the tricky thing about licensing is that wouldn't create direct competition for yourself so if we license our design to a company and they end up making pants with she fly technology better than we do then you've kind of put yourself out of business in a way. So I think that we're hoping to hold strong within the hiking pant outdoor apparel market specifically, and then license out to other industries where we don't have that same expertise and experience. But regardless, I think that being a mission-driven company, our goal is just for these to exist. And so whether that's us or by a big company, either way, we're successful and we've disrupted the market. If this is now something that companies in general think about when they make their pants or when they make any type of apparel for women. Yeah, absolutely, that's very cool. Uh, we're coming up on an hour here, Georgia Grace, so we're gonna wrap up. We have a few more questions for you. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hope you had fun, we have. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, Georgia Grace, what is one book that you would recommend to a young entrepreneur? Ooh, let's see. I love Freakonomics, both Freakonomics the book and Freakonomics the podcast. I think 
that it's a really good way to think about the world around you and then question how you can make it better while also considering the data side of it. You can't go wrong with Freakonomics. Uh, what else? I looked a lot into Venture for America. I was choosing between Venture for America and the Fulbright uh, when I graduated college. And Andrew Yang's book, Smart People Should Build Things, is another good. I haven't quite finished that one yet, but I like the idea that young people can make differences in their communities no matter where they are. Andrew that's Yang, good one. That's, the, that's the presidential candidate for 2020, right? Exactly. So there must be something smart in that book. Yeah, interesting. I'll have to check that out. That's a good one. I, I, I didn't even know about that <laughs> book. That's cool, though. Uh, Do you have a favorite? I'm also looking for a recommendation. Um, some of my favorite books, I mean, from a fiction standpoint, The Alchemist was like oh, a, a life-changing book for me. From a nonfiction standpoint, um, uh, any of the Lean series, Lean, Lean, uh, Lean Startup, Lean Analytics, Lean UX, etc. Those are all great. Um, any sort of auto, like autobiographies or biographies of people I connect with, I love reading those. Uh, and then um, I've read Freakonomics. That's a good one. Uh, so yeah, those those are some of my top ones. Okay, great. Adding them all to the list. I think I've read <laughs> some of the lean ones from the Middlebury Entrepreneurs class. Oh, cool, cool. Um, yeah. Okay, two more questions. Okay. One's coming from me, and then Nate's going to wrap it up. What do you wish you had known or had implemented sooner than you did? Given that it's currently tax season, uh, I wish I had known how to file taxes as an LLC uh, and kept better records of all spent, no matter how directly or indirectly uh, it is related. We're since we're we're on top of it now, but that is a very long and arduous process, and it could be made a lot easier if you just keep track of it while you're doing it. I wish I had known that. Um, what else? I wish I had known about podcasts like this. Mentors, but it's harder to find young people who are also trying to change the things in the world with their own. So yeah, that's cool. So wrapping it up, what is your definition of entrepreneurship? Ooh, you guys have good questions here. <laughs> we come prepared. We do. <laughs> yeah, you don't mess around. Uh, entrepreneurship. I would define, define entrepreneurship as the ability to take an idea you have in your head, collaborate with other people to make it better, and also to make it a reality. That wasn't very succinct, but I'm gonna think more about it and <laughs> <then laughs> improve. We'll take it, we'll take it. What was your favorite question on the podcast, Georgia Grace? Ooh, well, that's another tough question. <laughs> <laughs> we threw a lot at you, I know. <laughs> Relentless. <laughs> 
I think I think asking about the challenges is a good question because a lot of times as an entrepreneur, especially when you're in public, like at a pitch competition or something like that, you really want to, you know, make everything sound like it's smooth uh, and like you're confident and everything's going well. And I think acknowledging the vulnerability and the challenge makes you human and relatable and also a lot more believable. I think that's a good question. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate and the, the movie. I can't stop thinking about movies. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll send you a script for the movie and uh, we'll get that filmed as soon as possible. In the meantime, thanks so much for coming on Georgia Grace. We had a blast and uh, we will catch up with you soon. Thank you so much for having me. I think that she fly i think we're the first women-owned company on your podcast is that true that is true yes, yeah is. yeah congratulations i'm i'm psyched <laughs> to have you guys on yeah congratulations no, no no i'm honored i'm honored to have you guys on oh, it's awesome <laughs> well we are too and kudos to you guys for doing that thank you so much for taking notice and having us on this has been the most fun podcast interview we've done yet i think so awesome we'll awesome we'll yeah, that <laughs> we're gonna use that Okay, so the segment that we just listened to was recorded in early April of 2019 while Georgia Grace was uh, volunteering in the Czech Republic on a Fulbright scholarship. The next segment that you're going to hear is a an update on SheFly, uh, all the new stuff that's happened. Georgia Grace gave a TED Talk in Stowe. Uh, and a bunch of other new updates. This was recorded in July 2019 in Burlington. Take three of the Young Founders <laughs> podcast with Georgia Grace Edwards. Welcome back, Georgia Grace. Thank you for having me. We're psyched to have you on. Nate's Third not here today. Yeah, unfortunately. Third time is the charm. <laughs> um, so last time that we talked, or last time you were on the podcast, you mentioned... Uh, you were living in the Czech Republic. Um, how long were you over there? And tell us about what you were doing. I was in the Czech Republic on a Fulbright fellowship for a year. So I was teaching English at a business academy about 20 classes a week and then doing SheFly on the side. And I just got back to the U.S. about two weeks ago and made a pit stop here in Burlington. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned how important it's been for you to keep track of your progress so that you can reflect on how far you've come already. What's new since the last time you were on? You gave a talk at a, a TEDx Stowe event. You finished up your crowdfunding campaign. Yes. Give us an update. Lots has happened. Um, I wish I had our this month's newsletter in front of me because I just finished compiling it from July. Um, but yeah, I gave a TED talk with my co-founder Charlotte, which was great in Stowe. Um, we did finish up crowdfunding, which I don't think had closed officially the last time we talked, but we closed at over $51,000 after five weeks, which was great. Thank you to everyone who helped us. Um, what else? We just, there was a road pitch reunion in Vermont and we got third place for economic impact. We got a little shout out in a Forbes article recently. Uh, we are officially in production. Charlotte is at our factory in India, so that is in full swing. Um, last week I wired thousands of dollars <laughs> <laughs> across the world, which was really scary. Um, Been there. Yeah. <laughs> Done that. 
<laughs> I was at the bank when I did it, and I was like, so if anything goes wrong, like, is there a take this back mechanism? <laughs> and he was like, absolutely not. It's gone. Did but they give you that funny they, look that was like, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to knock on wood to solidify that one. But yeah. Um, yeah. So you're in production now. Charlotte's over there yes. overseeing production. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you started fulfilling orders yet? Have you started shipping? We so we've shipped all of the other rewards in our campaign. So that was the Kula cloths, the T-shirts, the stickers, the patches. I think that was everything. Um, and the, the the playlist, the, the Spotify playlist. playlist. Have you been listening? I've listened to it maybe a couple times. <laughs> so you feel empowered. Definitely. <laughs> you can, it's collaborative, so you can add your own. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. It's a plus. Um, we had, so Startup World, one of our most recent failures was fabric delays, which we've been trying to update everyone on. But a fabric was basically misrepresented to us, and it came in, it was damaged and miscolored and not the quality that we had asked for. So we had to start the whole process of connecting with another First of all, finding a fabric you like, then connecting with the fabric sourcer, then seeing if they will work with you if you can't order 10,000 yards on your first run. Uh, so that was, yeah, it's fun to go through <laughs> for the second time. Uh, but I think it's all worked out. And the most recent fabric we've now tested in New Mexico, in Washington State, in India, in the Swiss Alps, and in Ireland. So it's been around. Nice. Yeah. And so production is running smoothly at this point? I'm going to have to knock on wood again. <laughs> You're really setting us up for a jinx. It seems to be running smoothly. Um, a few things here and there, like swapping out hardware features, but we have all the features we want, um, and it seems to be going okay. We don't have an exact date at this moment. We hope by the end of August, maybe beginning of September. And is it one big back? How many individual backers did you have with this $51,000 campaign? Almost 500. 500 backers. How, or is that one run of pants, or are you doing small batches, or how does that work? That's going to be one uh, run of pants, although okay. we did also open up our online store. So you can order off of that, and we've had a few orders come in from there. Nice. And yeah. doing any, any advertising? Yeah, we've had a few Facebook ads. Um, I think opportunities like this have helped with press. We we recently won the Vermont iFund Women Pitch Competition, and that was live streamed on the whole iFund Women platform, which was great. Um, yeah. Awesome. We're also simultaneously trying to design the base layers while we start this first run of production, so it's a lot of multitasking. Doing some new product development. Yeah, the underwear and the the long James, as we're calling them. Okay. Instead of long Johns. Yeah, yeah, okay. clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much thought have you guys put into packaging and the experience that customers will have while unboxing? Yes, we have an entire Slack channel that is just pictures of us unboxing our favorite products and the feelings we have when we do it and the experiences and what about it we liked. I think the biggest contributing factor to our packaging right now has been thinking about sustainability and how we can keep that aligned within our mission. 
So because the factory that we're working with, Visible, is zero waste, everything that enters the factory has to leave as a product, so nothing is thrown away. And so with the extra yardage, we, I don't know if yardage is a word, but it is now. With the extra yardage we expect to have, we are making these zippered kind of organizing pouches that you would take with you backpacking or wherever, and the pants are going to be put into those and shipped that way. So that's the newest plan. Cool. Yeah, stay tuned for pictures of that. Uh, can you share some of the brands that you've used for inspiration on that? Yeah. Um, let's see. Charlotte, I think the most recent picture was from Girlfriend Collective. She ordered a dress, and they had really sustainable packaging, I think, in some type of pouch. Um, I really like Billy, which is a women's razor company. Unfortunately, a lot of their packaging has to be thrown away, but the design and the look of it I liked, so we're kind of trying to mesh together a lot of different ideas. Cool. Uh, are you still working with the same sewing shop in India that you've been working with? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't have any nightmares kind of <laughs> switching suppliers? You really like these doomsday <laughs> scenarios. Um, yeah, so the factory has stayed the same. It was just the source of the fabric that has changed. Okay. Yeah. All right, last time you were on the podcast, you talked about the New York Times 36 questions. Oh, to fall in love. So so I did some research. I, I'm going to throw oh, yeah? a couple at you. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. What would a perfect day look like to you? A perfect day. Um, it has three components. One is climbing a mountain, two is tacos, and three is some type of swimming with nice. the people I love. I love it. In any order. How do you think you're going to die? Ugh. <laughs> I recently thought I was going to die in the Swiss Alps. Um, like the that's a whole long story. I don't know if we have time for that on this podcast, but that's the closest to death I think I've been. I don't know how I... I don't... I'm not someone who thinks about the future ever. I think it's pointless because whatever is going to happen is going to happen whether you think about it or not, so you might as well think about the present. So, I don't know. Would you be content? Would you die in peace if you died on a mountain? Would that kind of be your, your ideal situation? Yeah. I think, <laughs> well, it depends the details, but yeah. I prefer that over like car accident, I guess. If you knew you were going to die in a year, what would you change about the way you live your life today? Hitting me hard. <laughs> you knew these questions were I, coming. Well, we generally don't <laughs> focus on the death organs at once. Um... How would I change my life? I honestly try to live my life that way already, I think. Um, I don't know, maybe care slightly less what people thought. I My personal life philosophy is two questions. So whenever I need to make a decision like in a day-to-day -day basis or thinking long-term, I ask what have I never done before and what am I least likely to ever do again? And whatever thing answers both of those questions is the thing that I choose or that I do. So I think it's kind of like living as though. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool framework. Yeah. It's worked so far. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, I have one, one last one from the New York Times for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your house containing everything you own catches fire. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, your family and pets are safe. Thank God. If you could only save one item from your house, what would you save? My sheet flies. Okay, good, good, good answer. <laughs> Other than my sheet flies? Um, that's hard to say. That's my most prized possession at the moment. <laughs> Maybe some pictures. I'm a big picture hoarder. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you mentioned this, but you were recently featured in Forbes. Well, I, I don't know if I would say featured. We got a little shout-out. A little shout-out? Yeah. <laughs> did, how did that come about? Uh, there was, uh, I forget what it's titled, but it was a piece about how difficult it is for women to fundraise, especially when 99% of entrepreneurs don't get VC funding, and then of that 1%, women make up a very small fraction. Uh, and we were mentioned as an outlier of a company, a female-owned company who was doing fundraising well through crowdfunding. Um, so that was exciting. Would she fly? Would you guys ever look at VC money? I mean, is that something that you guys have talked about? I actually just talked with Sam and Dave a little bit about this here yep. at VSET. Um, potentially in the future, I think that we want to kind of keep ownership for as long as possible. Uh, I think with the next line, we're looking at potentially doing crowdfunding again because it's good for not just raising money but also helping build your base and your following and actually finding your target audience so it kind of it's a two birds one stone kind of situation um maybe in the future i don't know i think the majority of vc funding is you know a panel of guys and i don't know if they (laughs) would i mean we did road pitch and that was almost entirely guys and we won that award so there's always the possibility but I don't know that we're ready for it just yet. It's a little early, I think. Uh, you mentioned something funny in your TED Talk, which was <laughs> if I end up pitching about pee pants to 70 guys, <laughs> so be it or something. Yeah. <laughs> that got a laugh. <laughs> yeah. That's my reality now. <laughs> um, so if you guys want to listen to Georgia Grace and Charlotte on that TED Talk, just Google I've been uh, Googling, I usually Google Georgia Grace pee pants, though I will say uh, one thing comes up before that, and it's a girl peeing her pants in the state of Georgia. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can just do TEDx Doe, um, Helping Women Pee with Dignity, I think is the title. We didn't get to pick the title. I think it's a bit clunky, but. I think I found it pretty quickly, just TEDx She Fly. Oh, okay. You're smarter <laughs> than I am. <laughs> um cool uh anything else what what else is new um i don't know everything i'm back in the u.s yeah biggest reverse culture shock so far has been when i work in cafes or even here at Vset. i'm super distracted because i can actually understand all the conversations around me i was used to just sitting down at a cafe hearing check nice white noise around me, but yeah, now I have the headphones everywhere. Do you want to talk a little bit about the experience of living in a country where you don't speak the language? (laughs) Sure. Uh, You talk to yourself a whole lot, (laughs) because you're the only one who can understand you. (laughs) Um, No, I learned the basic. I learned some Czech, so I knew the basics, the 
greetings and the goodbyes and definitely how to order a beer and food and transportation, things like that. Um, yeah, I think I had to rely more on all my other nonverbal communication cues. And in a country where people don't smile a lot, that <laughs> really eliminates quite a few uh, methods. But yeah, it was interesting for sure. Uh, you did some backpacking mm -hmm. before that. Yes, in a few different places. Um, in I took some of my students. They had a there's a program called Erasmus where you, if you're country in the European Union, you can travel to other countries to practice English and work. So my students had an experience in Ireland and I did some backpacking there, which was the last time we talked and I couldn't find reliable Wi-Fi anywhere. <laughs> so we'll see how the quality of that one is. <laughs> um, and then I did a little bit in the Czech Republic. I lived near two mountain ranges. So I, that was more day hiking, I would say. Uh, and then on my way back from the Czech Republic, I did a stop in Switzerland in the Alps with some friends. And then my brother has been living in Northern Ireland, so I visited him in Belfast and we did some backpacking as well. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, read any good books recently? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> um, yes. I Have you read Wild? Not Into the Wild, just Wild. Is that the one about the woman who backpacks the Pacific Crest Trail? Exactly. I haven't, but I, it's been recommended. Yeah, by Cheryl Strayed. Coolest thing I learned about her, she named herself. So Strayed is not her actual last name. She was going through a divorce and then she, I don't know, thought she needed a new last name and chose Strayed because she was, you know, diverging off her path. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, but that was a book that I, that's been turned into a movie and I thought it would, was a, I don't know, mainstream beach read, but then I ended up really, really liking it. Okay. She ties in some like themes. Of wow, that seems and... really derogatory. A mainstream beach read. It's <laughs> the I don't first know. time I've heard I that before. I was literally judging a book by its cover. <laughs> okay, but it turned out to be really good. Yeah, and I'm currently reading Michelle's uh, Becoming. Michelle Obama, sorry, for not okay. on a first name basis. <laughs> uh, what are you listening to in terms of your podcasts these Still days? Still Freakonomics, always Freakonomics. Yep. Um, Someone in a grocery store recently recommended Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, which I listened to, but I have to say, I wasn't super impressed. Okay. I didn't like the interview style, but I did appreciate the topics. They take these huge topics like, how do you solve homelessness? And then they break it down by talking to someone who has a lot of grassroots experience with the issue. Um, so that's cool. My All my friends have been listening to... Uh, I forget the title of it, but it's about the, it was like the blood kit that was going to solve whatever health problems, and it was all a hoax, basically. Um, I can look Was at this it. the Silicon Valley yes. startup that like, yeah, uh -huh. okay. Let me, that's going to drive me crazy, so I have to find it now, so. <laughs> uh, Eliza Holmes, is that her name? Yes, I think you're right. The Rise and Fall of Eliza Holmes, yes. Yeah, okay. It's called The Dropout. That's what it's called. Okay. Classic entrepreneurship title. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if I told you about Ear Hustle, but that's another one of my favorites. And that's produced um, inside a prison in California. And I've met the producer, and she's awesome. So, would recommend. 
Um, last time you said one of the worst pieces of advice that you guys had received was someone told Charlotte, if everyone's not in the same place, you shouldn't co-found the company together. Yeah. Obviously, that hasn't been the case. Yeah. That's been going smoothly for you? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a struggle. We've been talking in three different time zones. Charlotte just left on her Watson Fellowship, so she, the only rule of the Watson is that you cannot enter the U.S. for one year. So we will be entirely virtually communicating for the next year. Um, but her topic is women's empowerment in mountainous regions, so it is she fly in a nutshell. Um, no, definitely a struggle. I wouldn't say it's easy, but we've all been working on our communication styles. We recently um, we created a new Slack channel with weekly summaries. So instead of like having these really long, hour-long team calls once or twice a week, just like, I did this, I did this, I did this, we've been trying to type out all the things that we did so you can read through it, see if there's anything you need to follow up on. I would recommend that. That's been a good strategy so far. We had tried a few different things before that. Um, I don't know what else. You guys have grown. You added a brand manager, I saw. Yeah. Uh, a web designer. What else is new? So, yeah, we. so the two interns we've had for the past year are no longer interns. They're officially on the team, and they've been helping out a ton with shipping out stuff, with designing the tags that are in the pants. They've been great. And then we also have a summer intern right now who's a current Middlebury College student. So it's been great to, I don't know, bring more people on, make it more of a team effort, hear all these new ideas. A lot of our Instagram posts are not now just being created by Charlotte. She's our CMO. Uh, but we've all kind of been designing posts, so I think it's great to hear all these voices. It's been fun. Yeah. yeah. And is Slack kind of the main communication channel for you guys? Yeah, Slack. Yeah. We've, we've experimented with Trello and a lot of different you know, project management things, but in the end it always comes down to Slack. I am waiting for the day where I can upgrade to the not the premium, the freemium version. Without getting yelled at by yeah. your co-founders. <laughs> well, yeah, and the problem is now when I search for things, it's like, this is more than 10,000 yeah. messages back. You can't yeah. see it. Uh, so that's my next goal. Are you profitable <laughs> enough that I can afford the next level of Slack? Uh, are you using Slack for project management right now, or do you have another tool for that? Uh, we talk about a lot of things in Slack. We do everything in Google Drive. Uh, when we need to make timelines, we usually just create a new Slack channel. <laughs> so I would say, yeah, that's, that's where we've been focusing right now. I don't know if that's the most efficient but we're constantly trying out the free versions of different things and seeing how we like them. So I'll let you know when I hear the next best thing. Yeah. Uh, we've been experimenting with a bunch. Oh, okay. Um, Trello, Airtable, uh, Basecamp. Um, there's probably a half dozen. Monday, Asana. We've used them all. Oh, okay. So and what's uh, your I don't like any of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so you're currently using Slack too? We use Slack, yeah. Um, Maybe we should both pivot and make the next <laughs> and project. And do a project. Ma I'm hoping that Paul Danderand here mm -hmm. in VSET, his, his app is called Pi. I'm hoping that that evolves into the leader in project management. Okay. <laughs> Bianca's also made some really intense spreadsheets just in Excel. But yeah. I don't love being in Excel a lot, so. Yeah. We'll see. 
Um, we kind of have one spreadsheet in, uh, in Google Sheets that is our content pipeline. And so any, like you mentioned, you do a lot of work in Google Drive. You probably have a bunch of different documents. Yeah. For us, any document that gets created in any sort of Google Drive gets linked from our main spreadsheet, Ooh. our pipeline. So like as things get published, it's basically we use it as a Trello board and each row has a link to another document. Okay, you're going to have to show me that. Okay. That sounds genius. <laughs> I like that. Um, honestly, that was one of the first things that was set up, like one of the first systems that was set up in the agency, and it is still the most widely used today. And we've gone through all those different project management software. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. It, it's the one that has withstood the test of time, <laughs> if you will. Okay. <laughs> That's a glowing review. So. <laughs> I'll have to try that. Um, cool. Anything else you want to plug before we wrap it up here um, I think I would like to thank everyone for their extreme patience throughout this process I know that there's a lot of people messaging us do you have the expected date like, thought we'd have them by now so thank you for understanding the startup world and pre-sale sales and all of that but they are on their way we promise it's not a hoax or a scam <laughs> we really are making the pants <laughs> Um, and maybe a shout out to my team and a big thanks for everything they're working on right now. Yeah. Awesome. All right, and thanks thank for coming on, Georgia Grace. Yeah, always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, excited to get this out there. Me too. All right. <laughs> hey, folks, it's Riley Farbaugh. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Young Founders Podcast. If you guys enjoyed this episode, if you got any value from it, Please help spread the word, post a screenshot to your Instagram story, tell us what episodes you've been listening to on Twitter, share an episode with your Facebook fam, text someone a link to an episode if you think they benefit from it, and please leave us a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Anything you guys can do to help us out is so helpful to us and very, very much appreciate it. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Riley Farah. Find Nate at NT Bowl. You can also find every episode of the Young Founders podcast at theyoungfounders.com. We've also compiled a bunch of resources there to help you guys out on your journey towards creating a profitable, sustainable, and fulfilling business for yourselves. And if there's anything Nate and I can do to help you guys out along the way, please reach out to us. We both love connecting with other young entrepreneurs, and we're happy to help in any way that we can. Also, if you think you or someone you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the podcast, let us know that also. We're always looking for cool new guests. You can DM us or go to theyoungfounders.com slash apply and fill out the short form there. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Young Founders Podcast. We'll see you next time.